We're so glad that you're here this morning. This is week two of uh, the message series that I started last week called Off the Hook, How to Forgive Totally. And I'm really glad that you're here. Last week, I, I uh, just defined what total forgiveness is, gave you a big long list of what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. And uh, I, I said to our prayer team this morning, I feel like I almost shook up a hornet's nest last week by starting off on this topic because I've had more phone calls and one-on-one conversations and all kinds of stuff with people, many of you, who are struggling through the process of really, really forgiving somebody. I know uh, if you're like me, you think that you've totally forgiven somebody and then all of that bitterness and rage and anger comes bubbling back up. And, and it really is a lifelong process. And so uh, we are walking through a seven-week series on talking about how you let somebody off the hook and forgive them totally. And today I want to talk about uh, how, you're, how you know that you have forgiven somebody totally. There's some, there's some things that will be evidenced in your life and in your behavior when you have gotten to the place where you have totally forgiven someone. And uh, as soon as you get there, as soon as you totally forgive somebody, then somebody's going to hurt you again, and you're going to start the process all over. That's, isn't that kind of how life works? Uh, but this is a really important and valuable spiritual discipline. And, and why do I say that? Because Jesus said that if we don't forgive others, the Heavenly Father will not forgive us. And I don't know about you, but that scares me spitless. That's all right. Let's move right along. Thank you for laughing, Lynn. Last week I mentioned that uh, part of this message series grew out of a, a conversation, an ongoing conversation I was having with somebody who was struggling with forgiving people in his life and. And we began meeting weekly for a period of time, and I had given him the book that we're using as a study guide for this message series. And uh, I asked uh, Sam McGuire and his wife if they would come, and uh, I, I would just like to have them share a little bit about the process of forgiveness that they have been on for the last six or seven months. And, uh, and I, I really appreciate them being willing to share. Muriel got bucked off a horse a week ago, so she's moving a little slowly. Why don't you just give them a a hand of appreciation, would you? Many of you know Sam and Muriel. Some of you do not. Uh, But I've known Sam for probably three years. Well, both of you for about three years. And uh, and Sam, we, we met earlier this week, and we were talking about forgiveness and the process that you have been on for the last six or seven months, and you said to me that there was something that clicked in your brain and you realized that you had a problem with unforgiveness. Can you just share with us what what that was? Yeah, first of all, I wanted to say, growing up as a child, youngest of nine, uh, five, there's six boys, three girls, my brothers were like Russ's size, you know, so there was always a problem trying to see them. Okay. And, uh, but finally in college that happened, you know. But uh, so you, you grow up in a home where there was never forgiveness. And I think my mother probably um, really instilled that in all of us because of my grandpa being shot. 
during the Depression when they, three guys tried to kidnap him. One of the wealthiest guys in northern Illinois owned several farms and carried several hundred dollars of cash on himself. And she stood behind him when she got, he got shot. He died inside the house. And yet my mother took that to her grave and, that, and she gave it to her nine kids as well. Um, so I want to say that. And then just growing up in our home life, it wasn't taught. And then moving from northern Illinois to Wisconsin in middle school, going into a place and the girls like the new guy in the block. Girls don't do that to the new guy, okay? Just let him alone stay with the old guys, okay? And the old guys didn't like that, so they got me in the locker room. And you know what happens in the locker room, you know? They start pounding on you. And so there's a lot of things in our childhood that <coughs> brings out that. And also going into that, that middle school, I was never educated by teachers who used abuse. And there were three teachers that pulled hair three different ways. Okay, that's why my brother still will have a, a full head of hair. Okay, I don't. I, can't. I have a cul-de-sac. That's what they call it. And, and you know, I hated those teachers. You know, and I was. I remember when I was talking to Russ. I remember coming from Sheridan, Wyoming, up to Billings, and in the in the Montana area. Some of you have driven that I ninety. I believe it's there. Um, and, and just the Holy Spirit really spoke in my heart about, you know, if I would meet those old guys now, you know, and I, I thought, oh, I just take a cane and I'm just, you know, I'm just whack you know, and I thought, wow, I have a problem. I have a big problem, you know, and then going through life and a lot of us have had many stories and I know several of you and what you had to deal with, so we're not alone. All of us, and I was telling Russ last week, I said, I think this is a sensitive area for most of us. We have areas. And, um, you know, going through life and then having going through a divorce after 23 years and the, and the things that divorce causes. And then meeting Muriel over seven years ago. I have four children. She has five. And, and seeing the example from her life and then also the life of her children to forgive was a great influence on me. Yeah. And Sam, uh, people kind of laughed a little bit when you relayed that story about if you met them, you'd beat them with the cane. But I can remember the first time you told me that story. And I, I, I don't think it was a joke. I think you really felt like you would injure those people if you ever saw them again. Definitely. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. And the guy, you know, the guys who punched me in the locker room or whatever caught me, I'd take them on. You know, that's... Being the youngest of, of six boys, you learn to scrap, okay, and then, and now, yeah, okay, I don't care how big they are. Yeah, <laughs> and so after all these years, it's, that pain was still right here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did that impact your relationship with Muriel? Um, I think just seeing, I, you know, going into a, a new marriage with her seven years ago and then seeing the example of that. You know, it, it affected our relationship, and she was very, she's been very gracious with me, you know, and helping me through it. And she's been through a lot worse, you know. I just say that. And uh, just seeing that example has been very powerful for me, and a godly example. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, six, seven months ago, 
you and I started meeting weekly, and, uh, and I had a, a long list of assignments for you, but one of them was to read this book that many of us in, at Connect are reading for the next seven weeks. Um, and I remember when you came to me and you said, and you said to me, Russ, you gotta be teaching on this. And I, I was surprised to learn, I know that you don't like to read, so Sam had, had bought the book on an audio book on CDs, I think, right? And so you were playing it, and by the time I think we had met, you'd listened to the whole book twice, and, and you were just eating it up. Um, what has learning the process of forgiveness, what's happened in the last few months as you've been learning, Sam? Really to, to, to fight the battle in your mind and, and to take every thought into captivity and start blessing people. I mean, in business, you get ripped off, you get, you know, things happen, we're in business and relationships, and just start trying to bless, bless, and really, I was telling Russ at the beginning of the service, oh, even yesterday I had a bless, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's not something that you get over with, They're like, you think you're going to win, and then you're like, okay, let's see how, where you evolved from, you know, and God's grace in your life. So. Yeah, and so, so it's, it's an ongoing, ongoing battle. battle. Ongoing battle. Are you perfect? No way. <laughs> Muriel, why don't, why don't you share with us a little bit, um, what do you see happening in Sam as he's working through this forgiveness discipline? I think what I see is he's learning to walk away from situations. Instead of? Engage. Okay. And, you know, everything used to be a confrontation. You know, like, absolutely everything. You know, he takes things to heart, whatever, right? And he is, you know, it's a process. But he is learning to walk away, you know, step back and take time to process and say, okay, you know, I don't need to engage at this point. Muriel's Canadian, you hear the, <laughs> the process like that. You know, and, and that's helping, you know. Um, I think it's helping in his life and it's helping in our life and maybe the people around because, you know, he can step back and say, okay, you know, it's not worth just getting into a conflict or whatever, or there's better ways to deal with the situation or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I just wanted our church family to hear, though, from you guys today, is that you don't just get there and, and it's just over. This is something that all of us have to work on again and again and again. And one of the things, Muriel, said, you said when we were having lunch the other day, uh, I was just kind of picking Sam's brain. What's happening? How are you feeling? How's the process going? And Muriel said, he needs to listen to the book again. <laughs> you know, and, and that's true. It, it seems like, you know, just soaking it in and, and you know, letting it when it's not fresh in it your mind, diluted. it gets diluted and you start to wander away from those valuable lessons and whatever. And, um, you know, if you, when, when he's listening, has listened to it and has been, you know, mindful of what's going on. And, and so, you know, it's a process. I mean, it just, it has to be reiterated and reiterated and reiterated. And I think, you know, the more times you go through that, the, the, the stronger it is in your life and, and, you know, you start to develop more and more of those principles. But it's yeah. not like, okay, I listen to it, I'm done. <laughs> you know, 
or I've learned this principle and I'm done. No, it's it. You must continue to dwell on it and keep it mind, keep it in your mind. And I mean, like God knows to always be mindful, right? Right, right. <laughs> Sam, let me ask you one more question. Have you changed the way you think about those teachers in particular that were so cruel to you? Yeah, I, you know. I... And if you were to meet them in the forest <laughs> and nobody could see, I, re I remember you said, you said to me one time, if nobody, if, if I could, if I, if I knew th that I would never get caught, you, you told me. Always a silent killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what, it, what? It, it, the problem is with that, it's really hatred in your heart. Yes. Is murder. Yes. You know, and I've murdered people. Yeah. You know? So, what do you think about now towards those teachers? If you met them in the woods now, what would you do? I think it's the teachers I'm, I'm fine with. It's, a, it's the ones that are closer in incidences okay. that we're dealing with. And those are the ones I struggle with probably the hardest, you know going by a client's house or thinking about a client that's just ripped you off, you know, or just trying to rake you over, you know, and just say, okay, bless them, bless them, Jesus. Bless them. Yeah. And, and that's where you're, that's where you're taking your mind is to bless them and pray for them. And when I go by the street where they're living, I bless them, bless them. Good, good. And you're sowing seeds that's going to bear fruit, Sam. <laughs> Would you say thank you to Sam and Muriel? I really appreciate you guys sharing the show. Up on the screen, you can see uh, that today we're going to be talking about uh, a character from the Bible by the name of Joseph. Uh, and Joseph was a man who had plenty to be bitter about. Uh, last week, we studied the example of Jesus. And if again, if you weren't here last week, I, I talked about when Jesus was on the cross, the Bible says that he prayed for the people who were executing him. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. This incredible example of forgiveness from Jesus as he was dying. Today, I want to turn to the Old Testament character of Joseph and take a look at forgiveness from his perspective. And so um, what we're going to see as we walk through this story today is that Joseph had lots to be bitter about, all kinds of stuff. Uh, I, many of you have probably read the, this story of Joseph. It's a classic Bible story in the book of Genesis. Some of you probably haven't read that story. So let me just give you a little bit of a recap of what happened in his life. Uh, one of the first big events that was uh, traumatic for Joseph was that his brothers hated him because they were jealous of him. He was clearly his dad's favorite. And so uh, dad would give him special favors. He had this beautiful coat that the brothers were jealous of. And so they decided after he had kind of taunted them in their face and had said, I've had this dream and I'm going to rule over all of you. They said, we'll show you who's in charge. And they kidnapped him and they sold him into slavery. I, I, you know, Sam mentioned that he had brothers that were cruel. I, I, I don't know about you. Uh, my sister and I didn't have the best relationship when we were growing up, but neither one of us sold the other one into slavery, you know? Um, so I don't know if you can completely relate, but you have probably had family members who didn't treat you right. And it can become a seed of bitterness just like Joseph. 
Uh, later on in his life, Joseph got a great job in Egypt working for a guy by the name of Potiphar. And then Potiphar's wife thought he was pretty good looking and decided she'd rather bed him than, than uh, be with her husband. And so she tried to seduce him and he was a God-fearing man. He said no, he ran away. And then she falsely accused him, made a big stink, uh, said that he was coming on to her. So he landed in prison. He was falsely accused. Have you ever been falsely accused? Somebody has made charges. Maybe they were even legal charges. Maybe you have even spent time in, in, uh, in jail or you've suffered in some way because somebody has made false charges against you or treated you unfairly. It can become a seed of bitterness in your life just like it did for Joseph or it could have been for Joseph. Um, later on, we find that Joseph's friends didn't help him when they had the power to do so. Have your friends ever let you down? Have you ever been there like Joseph? And probably the most difficult thing for Joseph to deal with was the fact that God had very clearly made him some promises. Joseph was a visionary. He had dreams. They were spiritual dreams. And over and over and over in his life, God showed him the future. And it was, it was shown to him in such a powerful way that when he saw the future, he knew what the dreams meant and they were from God and he could see what was going to happen. And God had promised him a place of influence and for years and years, after being sold into slavery, he sat rotting in a primitive jail, in a dungeon in all likelihood, and he wondered why God wasn't fulfilling his promises. Can you relate to that one? Have you ever had somebody tell you that God will take care of you, and then you've suffered for a long period of time? Or have you ever been told that God is going to do this for you, maybe heal you of a disease or something, and you feel like God has let you down? This was the experience that Joseph had. And I think probably most of us have been in that place where your family has treated you unfairly, or you've been falsely accused, or your friends don't help you, or maybe you're just angry at God for something that you feel like he could have done. I want you to see what what Joseph did and how he behaved that models total forgiveness for us. He was able, I believe through the power of God, to totally let people off the hook. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, I would love it if you would turn to Genesis 45. We're going to camp out in this chapter for quite a while. So if you follow along in your Bible, that would be great. Or if you use your iPhone or iPad, that would be great. Genesis chapter 45. And when we get to Genesis chapter 45, one of the things that you may not realize if you've ever read this story before is that 22 years have passed since Joseph was sold into slavery. So if you do the math, if Joseph was, say, 15 years old, when his older brothers came at him in the field and they sold him to be a slave, he would now be about 37 years old, all right? And all of his brothers would be considerably older than that except, except Benef- Benjamin. <laughs> Benjamin was a little bit younger. But, but you understand, this, a lot of time has gone by. Joseph's brothers are convinced that, he has, that, that Joseph is either dead or he's in such a far remote place 
They don't expect to ever see him again. And what has happened is a big famine has come into the land. All over the Middle East, there's no food. And so Joseph's brothers go to the ruling elite in the country of Egypt to ask for food because they've heard that there are great stores of food. And what they find is when they come in, that their brother Joseph is the second in command of all of Egypt. And they don't recognize him. I'm sure he had that big eyeliner and the big gold thing, you know. He was probably looking just like King Tut, all that kind of stuff. I don't know if you've seen the movies, but, you know, he's basically looking like an Egyptian, even though he's a Hebrew, all right? And so they don't recognize him, but when they tell Joseph their story, he recognizes them. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 45. So uh, follow along with me if you've got your Bibles open. Starting at verse 1. It says, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was finally alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. And then, verse 2, he broke down and wept. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? And then I think this is fascinating. It says, but his brothers were speechless. And if you can put yourself in their shoes, 22 years ago, they had done something terrible, all right? Really terrible. Can you imagine if today in your life, something that you did 22 years ago came to roost for you? That person that you wronged all of a sudden shows up in your life and has some sort of influence or power over you. I think you would be speechless too. I would be. It says his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. And so they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Let me read that line again. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you. He says it again to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. Now, then he, he, he moves on, and, and if you want to jump down to verse 9, he says, hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. Now, if you think about it, if you were Joseph, wouldn't you want to say, uh, go back to dad, tell him, you sold me into slavery, Go and make a full confession, and maybe I will be kind to you. How many of you would take that stand with, with the people that had wronged you? you, you know, I, I mean, wouldn't that kind of be the expected thing? That's not what he says. He says, hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me master over the land of Egypt, so come down to me immediately. You can live in the land of Goshen, where you can be near me with all your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, everything you own. I will take care of you there 
for there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, your household and all your animals will starve. And then he began to hug on him, and he loved on him, and there was this great reconciliation. Verse 14 says that he was weeping with joy. He embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. And then he kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. This is an extraordinary example of forgiveness. And what I see here in this story is that Joseph totally forgave his brothers. And there's seven principles that I think we can see here that we can put into practice in our lives to know that we have totally forgiven. If you want to totally forgive someone, you can start doing these things right away and follow the example of Joseph. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this first one down. And I think our guys are coming up the aisles just in case you didn't pick up a note card and uh, they'll help you out with that. Or maybe not. There's Shoni. All right, if you need a note card, Shoni will get, get it to you. You're going to have to walk, Shoni. Yes. Tell Shoni that she looks beautiful as she walks. There you go. <laughs> Anybody need note cards? There you go. See? All right, if you're taking notes, here's number one. How to know you've totally forgiven. This is the first one. You don't tell. I talked about this a little bit last week. And this is a tough one. This is a tough one. You don't tell. You see, in verse 1 of that story that we just read, and I hope you'll keep your Bibles open so you can kind of refer back to it. In verse 1, you see that uh, when, when Joseph finally decided to reveal himself to his brothers and talk it all out, he didn't keep all the Egyptian people around him so he could shame his brothers He sent them out of the room. It's a great example for us. If we want to walk in forgiveness, you don't shame people. You don't tell. You don't make them a public example. Now, if if you're in this place where you need to forgive someone, a lot of times we have this inside need that we have to talk about it. Have you ever been there? You just need to talk about it. And there's three reasons I think sometimes we want to talk about it. One is because it's really therapeutic to talk it out, right? And sometimes you just need somebody to talk to so you can just get the emotions out. And especially if you're a girl, like um, my wife, you, you just need to talk it out, right? Girls, anybody? Okay, all right, thank you. You just need to get it out. And so sometimes it's therapeutic to talk about it. Um, sometimes you need to tell somebody what's happened if the person who has hurt you is likely to do it again and again and again, and especially if it's some sort of violence or crime and and this person needs to be stopped, you need to go to the authorities and stop it, okay? So I'm not not saying that you shouldn't tell if there's a big, big problem that is going to go on. Do you understand what I'm saying? But one of the third reasons we tell is because we like to punish with our words. Am I right? A lot of times, we're not telling because it's therapeutic. We're not telling because they need to be stopped. We're just telling because we want to get even. And if I can smear that guy's name in the community, then I'm going to feel a little bit better that I've gotten back at him. But here's the problem with that. Jesus said that if we want to be forgiven by our Heavenly Father, we've got to forgive in the same way that we have been forgiven, right? 
And I think sometimes we forget how completely we have experienced God's forgiveness. Psalm 103 says, may I never forget the good things he's done for me. And Micah 7.19 says this. In fact, why don't you just read this with me off the screen. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the sea. Throw them into the depths of the ocean. I love this verse. Why? Because I can see that picture of God taking my sins, all of the bad things I've done, and tossing them into the depths of the ocean. Not even the shallow part of the ocean. It goes to the depths of the ocean so nobody will ever know about it. That's how I've been forgiven. And so for me to start talking about all the bad things that you've done is not to forgive in the way that God has forgiven me. You understand what I'm saying? If you've totally forgiven, you don't tell. I've, I've told the story before, I'm sure, uh, about my mother's parents, my, my biological grandparents. When my mom was about seven years old, I believe it was, uh, her parents were divorced. And I went looking for a picture because the divorce happened when they were so young. Um, there's very few pictures of them, but I found this picture of my grandfather's family. And uh, Kristen, if you want to put the next one up, these two people here are my uh, biological grandmother and my grandfather. I never knew my grandfather very much, even though we're related by blood, because after the two of them divorced, he pretty much abandoned the family and uh, moved to the West Coast, and, and my mother never saw him again. She was about seven years old when they divorced. She never saw him again until she was an adult. He had absolutely nothing to do with my mom or her sister. It was very painful for them, but one of the things that uh, my mom has said, as long as I can remember, she has always said, uh, Grandpa Steele would take every opportunity he could get to say bad things about my grandmother. But by contrast, she never once said anything negative to her daughters or to us grandkids about our biological grandfather. She never had a negative thing to say. And I know I, she went to her grave with great pain from the divorce. I know that for a fact. But she was an example of somebody who would not shame another person even though she had been deeply hurt. She didn't tell. And this is one of the ways you can know if you've totally forgiven when you have made up your mind, I will not tell. Here's number two. You know you've totally forgiven when you don't use fear as a weapon. When you don't use fear as a weapon. If you look back at verse 3 in Genesis 45, you see here uh, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and he says to them, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He was, they were speechless. They couldn't say anything. I'm sure they were sure that he was going to come down on them hard, but he didn't use fear as a weapon. Why? Because he understood that fear wouldn't do anything positive in their relationship. And here's the deal. 1 John 4.18 says, Love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Uh, and I believe that once God forgives us, he doesn't want us to be afraid of him. And so when we use fear as a weapon in the lives of other people, we're, again, not forgiving the way he has forgiven us. Look at Romans 8.15. It's up on the screen. 
It says, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his children. And now we call him Abba, Daddy, Father. It's an amazing thing. God doesn't make us fearful of him. And we shouldn't use fear as a weapon either. So we don't tell, we don't use fear as a weapon. Number three is this. You want them to forgive themselves. You want them to forgive themselves. Fascinating to me that one of the first things Joseph did with his brothers was he said, don't be hard on yourselves. Don't be hard on yourselves. I forgive you for what you did and I don't want you to feel bad about it as as well because look at the good that has come of it. This was Joseph's attitude. But sometimes I think we say to people who have hurt us, I forgive you for what you've done but I want you to feel bad about it. Have you ever been there? Yeah, I'll forgive you, but I want you to feel bad about it. Um, True forgiveness, total forgiveness, wants them to forgive themselves. Here's what Romans 8.28 says, and I think although this verse wasn't written when Joseph was alive, he understood this principle. It says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You know that verse, right? If you've read the Bible at all, if you've sat through church, you've heard this verse, it's quoted all the time. Can you think about that pain in your life that you've been struggling to forgive? Can you believe that maybe God will cause good to come of it? That's his promise to you. It worked out in Joseph's life, and it will work out for us as well. Here's number four. You know you've totally forgiven when you let them save face. When you let them save face. Uh, This is one of the fascinating parts of this story to me. I mentioned earlier, Joseph didn't tell his brothers to go back to dad, make a full confession, do a little bit of penance, say a few Hail Marys and our fathers, and then come back and talk to me later, right? That wasn't what he asked them to do. He said, go to dad, tell them I'm alive, tell him that I'm here. And he was willing to let the brothers completely save face. This is what God does for us as well. If you think about it, God hasn't exposed your sins to other people. He hasn't made you Uh, humiliated because of your sins, God lets us save face. And this is something that I think sometimes as Americans, because we believe in justice, right? Equal justice under the law. We say those kinds of things. Uh, We have a hard time with this concept of saving face. People who live in Asian cultures, they understand this a little bit better than we do, the idea of saving face. Um, A couple years after Chris and I we're married, we had an opportunity to travel to Singapore. And it was an awesome opportunity. We spent two weeks in Singapore and Malaysia, and we had a, a number of wonderful experiences. One of the things that's very memorable to us is um, we were working with some missionaries while we were over there, and some dear friends of our missionary friends invited us over to his home for, for dinner. He was a single man, uh, Chinese man, and he worked as, a, as an interior designer. And uh, he was a Christian guy. He loved our missionary friends. He wanted to treat us. 
And so we went to his home and we walked into this high-rise apartment building in Singapore into his apartment and it was just beautifully furnished. And Chris and I are just gaga looking around at how, you know, he's an interior designer, so his own home is a showcase, right? And we're looking around just gaga over things. And one of the things that stood out to me as we sat, sat down to have dinner, there's this beautiful, I think it was like teak wood dining table in a formal dining room and these beautiful high-backed chairs. And inlaid into the back of these chairs were these tiles. And, and it was such a, a, an interesting uh, piece of furniture that I couldn't help but comment on it. And I, I asked him, what's, what's with these tiles in the dining room chairs? And he said that in the old part of Singapore, they were building a whole bunch of new high-rises. And so they were tearing down all of the old buildings from the turn of the 20th century. And as they were tearing down the buildings, many of the, of the buildings were covered in these beautiful tiles. And he had gone down there and salvaged many of these tiles that were now 100 years old. And he used them to make custom furniture in his clients' homes. And these were examples of some of the furniture he had made. Absolutely extraordinary. And I'm like, you know, uh, I, I love antiques. I love anything old. I love anything historical. So I'm just gaga over these chairs, right? Well, I didn't know at that time that in the Chinese culture, if you admire something that belongs to your friend, he has an obligation to give it to you. <laughs> I didn't know this, and I'm just going on and on and on about this beautiful furniture, right? And uh, at the end of our meal, he disappeared for a little while, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on, and he came out from a back room, and uh, he gave Chris and me and our missionary friends one of the tiles that decorated uh, the furniture. And uh, this is very, very old from the old town of Singapore, and this is in a very special place in our home. Uh, I just love it. But you see, he had to save face because in his culture, if he would hoard things for himself and not be generous, that would be very shameful. And so he had this obligation to give it to us to save his own reputation, to, sh to save his own sense of shame. Uh, this is what God does for us. And sometimes I think this is the part that we have the hardest. We want justice, right? If somebody has done something bad, we want them to pay. But God doesn't make us shameful or punished. He lets us save face and we can do that for them as well. Here's number five, and I need to move quickly here, so I will. Number five, you don't use their secrets to manipulate or blackmail them. It's easy for us to do this, isn't it? To just use uh, these secrets, but that's not what God has done for us, and that's not what we do for them. Joseph didn't do this for his brothers. Psalm 51 says, against you, God, against you alone, I've sinned, and I've done what is evil in your sight. You don't blackmail them or use their secrets to manipulate. Here's number six. This one's important. You forgive them for the rest of your life. 17 years after reuniting with Joseph, the brothers found that their dad took ill and he passed away and they were filled with fear. 
There's a reference in your notes uh, from Genesis chapter 50. We're not going to read that this morning, but what you find out is that once Joseph's father was dead, the brothers were convinced that Joseph was going to punish them and obliterate them. But Joseph's forgiveness was total, and he didn't come back at them once dad was dead. He let them off the hook totally. And that's another thing. Sometimes in our lives, when we're struggling with forgiveness, we bring it up again and again and again and again. Total forgiveness lets them off the hook for good. And then lastly, number seven, you know you've totally forgiven when you pray for them to be blessed. When you pray for them to be blessed. Sam talked about this. This is one of the themes we will talk about for the next six weeks Pray for them to be blessed. This is one of the characteristics of knowing that you've totally forgiven. Matthew 5.44 says, I say, this is Jesus speaking, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Job 42, if you know the story about Job, he suffered greatly and his friends were so mean to him. And in Job 42, it says, when Job prayed for his friends, look at this, when he prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Is it worth it to pray that your enemy be be blessed? That was great English, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) If the Lord will bless us the way he blessed Job, why not pray for them to be blessed? Uh, Victoria brought me a song last week that, a brand new song by the band 10th Avenue North, I've watched this video five or six times this week. It's just getting into my spirit. I want you to see it this morning. Take a look at this. I can't believe what she said. I can't believe what he did. Oh, don't they know it's wrong? Don't they know it's wrong? Yeah. Maybe there's something I missed. How could they treat me like this?
that's gonna change their heart Up in arms over walls, don't need to be fine Proud won't let us lay weapons on the ground We build bridges up, but just never singing that song all week long and uh if you're struggling to forgive somebody buy that song uh get get the video off of youtube whatever but get that song in your mind and start praying and singing father forgive them i don't think they know what they've been doing um and you'll find that you're not the loser if you will forgive totally let me give you five next steps and then we'll wrap it up this morning I want to encourage you this week, if you're reading along with us in the book Total Forgiveness, uh, read chapter two this week. I think we've got a few more books. Are there books back there, Chris, still? Uh, we ordered a bunch more. So if you haven't picked up the book Total Forgiveness, we have it back there for $10, which is a little less than it cost us to get them here. Um, and so uh, it's just a way for you to go deeper. And if you're reading with us, go ahead and read that. I want to encourage you this week as a part of just going a little bit deeper to memorize Micah 7.19. It's printed out there on your card, so you don't even have to look it up in your Bible. It's just on your card. Last week, I had you memorize a verse from Ephesians. This week, that, that scripture from Micah can really help you learn to forgive, thinking about the Lord forgiving you. And then thirdly, I want to encourage you to read the whole life story of Joseph. It's Genesis 37 through 50. So there's about 13, 14 chapters there that you can read. If you don't know this story, read it from beginning to end. What a great story and a good example for us to learn forgiveness. Uh, and then number four, I want to encourage you to go deeper with a small group. Um, we believe so strongly here at Connect in the value of small groups, and I want to encourage you to do that. In fact, we've got one small group. I think it's the one that Bill Conkler is leading. Am I right? Uh, that's going to be focusing in on total forgiveness. It's on the back of your link, and uh, they're going to be using the book as a springboard to just talk about forgiveness. But you know what? Any one of our small groups that are available here are going to help you develop uh, important and valuable relationships that lead you closer and closer to Jesus. That's what the purpose of our small groups are. We believe that Sundays are important. We're so glad that you're here, but none of us can really become everything Jesus has created us to be unless we're living in biblical community. And so small groups is one of our tools to help you do that. So don't say, yeah, 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 I've heard that all the time. I don't have time. 
Make it a part of your spiritual discipline to be in a small group. And then if you're struggling with forgiveness, you've got people that can pray with you. You've got people that can encourage you. And it really can completely change your life. That's a good place for everyone to say, preach it, Pastor Russ. That was weak, but that's okay. Number five. Number five, please come back next week. I hope that you'll be here for every one of these seven messages. And yes, ma'am, you will. All right. We have a hand. One person next week already. Awesome. Two. All right. (laughs) And then I've got a bonus next step for you. All right. Hang with me for just a second. Here's your bonus. Don't ever... Don't ever, say don't ever. Don't ever, ever, I can't say this strongly enough. Don't ever go to somebody and say, I forgive you unless you know they are looking for your forgiveness. Why do I say this? I've seen it happen over and over and over. Somebody goes and says, "Um, Sister Chris, I just want you to know you really hurt me, but I've forgiven you. And Sister Chris says, talking about my wife obviously sister chris says i didn't even know i did anything you know and then chris starts all worrying about what did i do what did i say i didn't even know i hurt her and you can actually create more problems in a relationship if you go to somebody that doesn't know that they have offended you and saying i forgive you now if somebody has asked for your forgiveness if there's been a conflict and and you know that they want your forgiveness they need your forgiveness and that's a completely different thing absolutely but if they don't know Don't go and blab and make things all messy. Does that make sense? All right, good. You've probably seen that happen as well. Okay, we're going to pray. Why don't you put your things away and stand up with me, would you? Jesus, thank you for the example you left us when you prayed that the Father would forgive those who had treated you so unjustly. Thank you, Father, for giving us the historical record in the Bible that gives us such a beautiful example of Joseph in forgiving others. And I want to pray, Lord, that you will give us grace to forgive the people that have hurt us. I pray, Jesus, that you will help us to let people off the hook. I pray, Lord, that you will help us get to the point, Lord, where we can totally forgive and we can come to the place where we don't even revisit it. For those of us, Lord, that have struggled for many, many years with letting it go, with feeling anger and rage and bitterness and all of the tumultuous feelings that come, I pray, Lord, that you will wash them away. I pray that you will take our sins and toss them into the deepest place of the ocean and then, Lord, help us to do those Do that same thing with the sins that people have committed against us, Lord. Let us take those events that have hurt us and toss them into the deepest place of the sea. We pray this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.